Hello, and welcome to Word Theater's Saturday Stories. My name is Cedar Ing Fox. I'm Word Theater's founder and artistic director. Before we get started, I need to state three things. First of all, this story may offend some people with its use of graphic language and frank references to difficult life experiences. Secondly, Word Theater holds the copyright to these recordings, and no portion of anything you hear may be reproduced without permission. Thirdly, Word Theater and our distributors do not have the right to publish a written transcript of any of the stories you hear on the podcast. The book publishers hold those rights, and the production of transcripts violates copyright protections. That being said, most of our author's works are available for purchase, and we encourage you to support your local bookstores, the publishers, the authors, and our podcast by visiting our affiliate link at bookshop.org shop slash word theater now. In honor of Black History Month, we would like to celebrate John Edgar Wideman this week and next by sharing two of his extraordinary pieces of writing. John Edgar Wideman has been publishing his work since 1967, the year Langston Hughes died. Weidman is the first person to win the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction twice, and John was only the second African-American to become a Rhodes Scholar and study in Oxford, England. The first Black Rhodes Scholar was Alan Locke in 1907. There were 56 years in between those two scholarships. Weidman's chronicling of the Black American experience has not only made him a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, but has also earned him his well-deserved reputation as one of America's most important living writers. The piece you're about to hear, Lamentations, was the first piece of John's that we performed at Word Theater, and we feel honored that he has entrusted us with performing his short stories ever since. This piece is actually excerpted from his novel entitled Two Cities. To introduce and perform Lamentations, please welcome Greenleaf's matriarch, Emmy Award-winning actress for the Josephine Baker story, Lynn Whitfield. Hello, this is Lynn Whitfield. I will never forget the first time I read this story. John Edgar Wideman writes like nobody else. Meeting him for the first time is etched in my mind's eye. There is something about him that stopped me in my tracks. You can feel his power, his humanity. You can see with all of his warmth and humor that he has suffered. Performing Lamentations was simply an honor. I think I'd like the story to speak for itself, but there is an architecture that the writing is built on that makes inhabiting it just easy. The story tells you how to read it. I hope you feel that. I hope you feel what I felt. And I hope that you get to know the work of John Edgar Wideman, who is without a doubt a master writer. And we are all so lucky to have his work that illuminates the human condition so, so fluidly, like jazz. Why can't I leave well enough alone? Wanted some good fucking and got it. 
Why couldn't I just let it go with that? Older guy hit on me, a nice man, kind of nice looking, kind bound to belong to some nice woman, and she's away somewhere for a couple of days, so he's out tipping around, looking for a quickie. Perfect. Because it's what I wanted to. A no strings attached, hot one night stand, rise and fly. Uh-huh. Ready for some good old natural one-on-one X-rated adult tingling. Worse than ready, long overdue. Hadn't been talking to people for months, let alone rubbing up against some nice man's hard body. Still raw. Still felt like a freak. Afraid a person take one look at me and see my face. All the terrible things happened. See what a terrible mother I'd been losing my sons, my children gone, so no kind of mother no more. A widow, not a wife. Pitiful man I married. Didn't catch AIDS till he got locked up in prison, but I had myself tested anyway. And I know I'm not diseased, but diseased is how I felt. Felt like runny sores all over my face, warning people, get back, stay away. Anyway, one night after I ate my dinner and had my little glass of paisa, no Chianti, and the silliness on the TV was making me want to scream instead of putting me to sleep, the prospect of being home alone all evening staring at my own self, feeling sorry for myself, was worse than the thought of people staring at me. No mystery about it, what this girl wanted. What this girl wanted and why I got and chased myself into a five-year-old green mini dress and peek-a-boat irresistible heels, praying, believe it or not, while I bathed and dressed, praying for a tallish, not-too-much-belly, brown-skinned, slow-smiling man with big hands and clean, neat fingernails, one who wouldn't argue about wearing a Johnny. So the man who probably didn't really need to wear one because he had good sense and he respected women and respected himself, but he'd be the one to be sure enough to insist on it anyway. Praying for a good fuck. Cause I know good and well, ain't no long-haired, bearded, white man sitting up in heaven passing out favors. Still, I got this habit of thinking, pray when I want something real bad. When I'm wishing for something most likely lost cause, my whole life, I've been hearing people. I've been hearing people around me praying for this and praying for that. When they hurting for exactly what they should know, they not gonna get. But their heart set on it anyway, the same heart telling them that they not gonna get it. Well, 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 shit happens, as they say. And some shit's even good shit every once in a great while. I got what I wanted, what I prayed for. It happened. Found me a nice man, and we fucked ourselves dizzy that night. Mm. You'd think I'd be grateful, leave well enough alone, uh uh-huh. Man didn't rise and fly in the morning, nor in the afternoon, nor the next night either. Had us a ball in good time and started seeing each other regular. Uh, Better way of putting it, we we couldn't stop seeing each other. Girlfriend's nose open and heart stole again. Why'd I have to find exactly the man I was looking for, praying for? And when I did, 
Why didn't I leave well enough alone? Sometimes I think being a spider woman's the best way to be. Fuck him till he's dead. Leave him lying there on the ground with a smile on his face and go on about your business. <laughs> Scared me to find my story in a book. <laughs> I, mean, I thought maybe I was really cracking up. I'd been around folks who were Bible crazy, church crazy, didn't like them even a little bit. They could be mean, hurt you worse than the lowlifes doing all the doping and stealing around here. You know what to expect from lowlifes. You know they're wrong, and they know they're wrong. But the Bible crazy ones, they believe they write all the time. Right when they smack you, right when they don't feed you, right when they split up some little sisters who don't have nothing in this world to lean on but each other. Those holier-than-everybody-else kind of people don't answer to nobody, don't care what nobody thinks. God, 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 behind whatever evil they do, God and the Bible. The Bible ain't nothing but a big stick they beat you with. And if you're in the wrong place, and ain't nothing but a child can't fight back. Nothing those kinds of people can do for me no more. Bible didn't belong to them neither, as far as I was concerned. started to read in it and kept on reading because it gave me a lot of things to think about. Helped me deal with the awful stuff tearing me up inside. Couldn't believe when I found my story in the Bible. Never thought about something like being a writer. Hell, just halfway learning to read. But I was wondering if I wrote down any part of my story would a woman lost her son in Detroit or in Cleveland or Philadelphia or Los Angeles, California, know just what I was talking about. I'm not stupid. With everything I had to go through, I know I'm way past stupid and smart. Wasn't a matter of stupid or smart. After my son's dead and the daddy dead, I, I decided I wanted to go on living. I had to start all over again. Learn how to brush my teeth, how to breathe, how to walk across the room, how to sleep, how to wake up, whatever I was, smart or stupid, before I lost my family. Smart or stupid didn't mean a thing after because I was dealing with a whole new world and I had to learn to be different in it or die. The old smart could be stupid in this new world and the old stupid wind up being smart. What I'm trying to say is, when I started reading the Bible, I wasn't a nutcase. No holy roller. I was, it was just a book. Just words. A book shoved in my face by people I mostly didn't like. People who hurt me bad when I was a child. So I wasn't no, hallelujah, lordy, lord, I done found the light. Uh-uh. More like, you know. You're out on a dark night in a quiet place like Westinghouse Park used to be before the gangs took over. A dark, quiet place and nobody around you and you have too much on your mind to sleep so you just need to walk and you need to think. So you're walking in the park and you notice out the corner of your eye a lightning bug brighting up like a match. Then more here than there, not many, enough so you notice. Enough to make you stop for a minute and wonder why. Why are they here? What do they do? 
Why do they do? How do they do what they do? Ping, ping. Little blinking eyes and night, something not you. Paying no attention to you, going about their business. But you see them, and they're out in the park with you. So maybe, in a certain way, what they do is about you, too. Bible ain't no Ouija board, guide your fingers where it wants you to go. I just kind of shuffle pages till I felt like stopping. Read a little bit of whatever I found, and sometimes the words didn't make sense. Just all these strange names, a list of what could be people's names, could be cities or countries, tribes, damned if I knew. They killing each other or begatting each other. I don't know. I ain't have a clue. Some mornings I found myself just reading regular stories. I read along a while to find out who's Zooming who. You know, curiosity. Like I used to try and figure out what all those weird white folks crying on about when I skipped school and wanted to stay home and watch the soaps. Sometimes I'd come across a part like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've been reading that all my life. Makes a kind of music, and that's what I follow as much as I follow the words. Some days I get dreamy when I, when I put the Bible down, but don't have the slightest idea what I've been reading, except it stirs me up and got a hold of me and it won't let me go. And I remember the old women who wore nurses' caps in church once hardly got any hair or voice left, but they knew all the verses and every hymn and lined them out to keep the song going and going as it runs out of words. And then they start into humming and everybody hums along with them because nobody wants it over. Way past words, but the songs keep getting better and better and those humming verses when the words run out, the best of all. Didn't read much of the Book of Lamentations first time I found it, but I saved my plays. Why I mark my place at the ribbon? Why I hurried back first thing next day? I can't say. Maybe just the words, something about the word lamentations. Do you know what it means? I didn't. Had to look it up in my dictionary didn't know the meaning and didn't guess right neither. My guess dead wrong. Dictionary said grief, mourning, deep regret. Said it could be a song or a poem and that's closer to what I guessed, but lamentation's definitely not a happy song. Said I could be a person walking, letting other people hear the grief inside. The meaning of the words shook me up. How it's not going to shake me up with all I've been carrying in my heart when the Book of Lamentations opened in front of me the second time. I read every line. Not a long book, but for me in the state I was in, reading it like crawling from Homewood to downtown on a bed of nails and hot coals. I shivered and flinched and I read it. And reading it gave me a hurting kind of peace, found my story, my song, and I got so tangled up in it, scared me for a while. Was I losing my mind 
losing my face, hiding my face in a book when I knew good and well I needed to get out of the house, open the door, step back out into the world. But I wasn't hiding in the Bible, just getting ready for what I had to do. Did a whole lot of talking to myself, a lot of trying to make sense of things. Didn't make no sense no matter how you twisted and turned and worried them. What happened to my sons? Why had they been given and then snatched away? What good was all the love that I couldn't buy them one more minute on this earth? Why did evil prosper around here and children die? Well, I got through the worst part. Finally, and started stepping out a little, listening to the part of me wanted to live, wanted to be a live woman again. I got through wanting to die, and one thing made it through with me, the book of Lamentations. The story about people beaten down so low, they got to pray for a reason to pay. Being here with you like this, I am as close to happy as I've been in a long, long while. You don't have to listen if you don't feel like it. Just close your eyes and sleep if you're sleepy, baby. You sang for me, now I want to sing for you. You cried, now it's my turn to cry some on your shoulder. My eyes float with the rivers of tears because of the destruction of my people. The children beg for food but no one gives them anything. The old men have left the gates of the city and the young men their music. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. A son died playing Russian roulette. Another killed when a dope deal he wasn't even involved in went bad and they came looking for somebody to hurt and shot him because he was the only person home. AIDS killed their daddy in prison. Ask me why I lost three men in my life in the space of 10 months and wound up alone with Mr. Mallory in this haunted house and I have no answer for you. All I can say is my life changed and I had no choice but to play the cards I've been dealt. And I ain't no better, no worse than most people. What happened, happened, and I'm still here. So don't feel sorry for me. Just be careful. Be ready, because rain's going to fall someday, and when it rains, it pours sometimes, and believe me, ain't no handle to shut it off. Boys or something else, brother. Oh, black boys born beating their heads against a brick wall, and the blacker they are, the harder they beat that wall, it seems. And if they don't knock sense into themselves, those big hard heads soften up. Ain't good for nothing after that but sucking titty and laying half sleep upside titty and beating other boys black and blue. Basically, that's it, except if you're the mother and you wind up backer or bluer than your boys. Be not dismayed, whatever betides, the song says. Can they help it? Can they do better? Well, of course they can. Most of them try. 
cry on your shoulder, cry, cry, cry when they hurt you or hurt somebody else or hurt themselves or just can't do right to save their souls. Crazy country owls accusing them of everything but being citizens and human beings. Call black boys mistakes. And don't you know, I read the other day, corrections the fastest growing business in this nation. Did you ever visit someone in a prison? Dungeons what they are. Dirty, dangerous dungeons. Die a little bit every time you pass through the metal detectors. Afraid of going to start beeping because there's wire in your bra, studs in the stitches of your dreams, which could disappear. Wish you could disappear. Anything to stop the beep, beep, beeping, the lying machine saying you're guilty and can't even be trusted to enter the dirty hell hole dedicated to destroying lowlifes and no goods, one of whom happens to be your son, your brother, your uncle, your father, your lover, who will be devastated if you don't make it in. Him somewhere ringed by God in a holding pen, bending over, spreading the cheeks of his ass, dying a little bits because he knows the devil is dragging you through the shit too. Stripping away your spirit, your dignity, and traps that set you to delay, to deter you, doom any chance that anybody who cares will reach this visiting room in one piece. Dogging the visitor like they dog the one dying for the visit. So when a visit finally begins, if it ever does, you spend far too damn much of your precious little time together, tense or numb or fidgeting, fighting, wondering if it's worth it. Everybody plays the fool. The song says, no exception to the rule. Each time I tried my best, fed and washed and dressed my boys and gave each of them my heart. Everything changed the minute they walked out the door. Except you. You're expecting each time, maybe this time will be different. Maybe it's your turn. Their turn for something good, even though you know better because once they're out of your hands, out of your sight, the worst thing can happen and do because evil wraps her arms around them. They're evil's children. She steals them and raises them, and then it's as if the time they were your babies never existed, except the memories of your boys, small and helpless and needing you stay in your heart, a mirror in your heart, where you can see them and see your own face, small and helpless and broken and missing your babies, needing them worse, more than they ever needed you. Fast. It all happens so fast. Firstborn baby boy or girl in the world suddenly, beginning all over again. Forget who you thought they were a minute before your child was born. From the moment you lay eyes on them, this new little person who just a second ago lived someplace but deep inside your body and now is free to roam the whole wide world, Part of you sings thank you. Thank you for the miracle. Splitting you open, hurting you, changing you, making you holler, make you more and better than you were. And another part of you, sad-eyed, wide-eyed, fear falls quietly, deathly quiet, listening to the future open like 
cracks in the thin ice you're standing on with this beautiful, fresh, firstborn wrapped in your arms. Guys just be hitting on you before they know what to say. Hey, 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 know what? Know what the fuck they're saying? Gonna give me some of those goodies, girl? Get out of my face, boy. Grab what you can and get out of Dodge is what the guys learn early, early. And you learn game too. The grabbing and growling and goo-goo back and forth, it starts out not meaning a thing, just play. Just going up and down on a seesaw. Then one day, your big soft butt nail flat on the ground, babies in both your arms and the seesaw ain't hee-haw no more. No sweet man on the other end and you ain't rising no more. No more game for you because he's gone. CC riding with some other bitch. How did I manage? How? Hmm. Hard sometimes. When I sit in this bed with a cup of coffee in my hand, hard. Hard to think back on both my boys shot nine months apart and their loss. Sorry dad rotted down to skin and bones, dying in prison. Hard to believe I really get through a year like that. Had to drag my good black dress out of the mess hanging in that hopeless closet. Brush it, iron it, iron the pleats, and it was hard. Hard the first time. But if I'd known how soon I'd have to do it again and hear the folks at the funeral home whispering, here she comes. Here comes that pitiful child wearing a black dress already. If I'd known ahead of time, like I know now, what was going to happen, I'm sure I couldn't have gotten through it. Uh-uh, no. One terrible thing at a time enough. All I could bear because each time I pulled my black dress off the hanger, it took every ounce of strength to shake it and brush it. Look at the wrinkles and drape it over the ironing board and start checking the pleats. Checking the pleats, going real slow, pleat by pleat, each crease a blessing in a way. When I could put my mind to it, work the iron around it, one pleat at a time, all I could handle. Maybe that's how. Maybe it's the only way I think anybody ever survives if they do. Inside of me still raw. I've never tried to explain to anybody before how, how you can feel being talking to a person, uh, any old kind of conversation with somebody you know well or not in the middle of a conversation. You feel this explosion of cold, cold white heat going off behind your eyeballs, deep inside your skull. Something like a flashbulb, but a million, million times brighter and colder than any damn flashbulb. All light and no sound, the kind of sound would explode if you squeezed this whole city into a ball, squeezed it and squeezed it down to lemon size, and then it gets away from you, burst open again, huge in a flashlight that blows out the back of your skull in spite of all the fireworks and hurt, you barely blink. And the people you're talking to can't see the light. Instead of dropping down, polaxed on the spot, you amazed yourself. 
You go on talking with whoever you are in front of because what just happened inside your head is simply a fact coming home to roost. The fact your children are dead and you've been left behind has just hit you once again as it hit you before and will hit you again when you least expect it. Jury said my man guilty. Guilty as charged. Judge said life without parole. Just me then, a young girl, sitting along in the courtroom with one baby in one arm, another in my belly, and she's got a raise. Jungle, where you have to live, don't stop being a jungle just because you try to do right. Try to keep yourself and your babies above the worst, killing rot stink of it. Jingle my house keys and my son reaches out for them like any sweet, bright-eyed, curious little boy. Like he's going to keep reaching and wanting shiny things the rest of his life till his hand closes round nothing. And he sees what's out there glittering like gold is jail keys and he's locked up inside looking out. Kicked a gang boy, they say. Whipped the boy's ass. Good and a fair fight, they say. Fair as such things ever are when a bunch from one gang corners some of another gang. They say my son whipped him good and then kicked him while he was down on the ground. And what else you think he's going to do with his buddies taunting him and egging him on because he's big and strong like his daddy used to be? A terror with his big rough hands like his daddy. An easy, good-natured, bother-nobody-don't-bother-him boy like his daddy till he's high on something or somebody's pushing him too far. Then he's off again and doing anything, kicking and spitting on a boy he beat on the ground. And is that why they killed my boy in cold blood? Not on the apartment door. Same ones from the fight the week before. Same two gangs still tangled up and shooting each other like cowboys and Indians. Same boys been knowing each other since they were little kids. And this time they say it's about a drug war. Well, maybe so. Maybe it was about the fight, too. K, 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 Co. Fired point blank with a sawed-off shotgun when my son answered that door and killed him dead. Killed him before he hit the floor. But then one kicked his big body anyway. Kick, kick. Remember me. Remember me. Lamentations. Looking at the word, not having the slightest idea what it might mean, my guess was it might be something happy. A happy, dappy, fa-la-la ring to the word. Something maybe to do with music, bells, tambourines, drums, and long, curvy goat horn horns. You know the kind of stuff they play music with in the Bible Day stories? Lester and the Lamentations, I, I thought that dumb thought too. Thought the words sounded like temptations or sensations or sweet inspirations or la-la-la names, singing groups like themselves like a Latin Lester and the fabulous Lamentations. Little did I know, no clue, what I was getting into when I started reading myself the book in the Bible with that name.
Thank you, Lynn Whitfield, for a powerful performance of this remarkable story, Lamentations, by John Edgar Wideman. We'll have more great stories by John Edgar Wideman coming your way this month. Little gems that have been recorded at various places in New York and Los Angeles. And several of them have been performed by Academy Award nominees for 2024. We hope that you'll tell your friends and that they'll tell their friends and everyone will tune in to Saturday Stories. Now it's time for some thank yous. First and foremost, thank you to the remarkable philanthropist and benefactor, Ola Strom, to the Los Angeles County Department of Arts and Culture for their ongoing support, to all our hardworking interns led by executive assistant, Scout Riley, and to our podcast editor, Jason Lee. The music for this week's podcast was composed by Word Theater's Jonathan Sachs. To everyone, we encourage you to visit wordtheater.org where you can learn more and join the Word Theater family. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, this is Cedaring Fox, signing off.